Welcome to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, it's all about euthanasia and home hospice care with Dr. Danny McVetty. You want to stick around for this one. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we are going to talk about a topic that touches us all, and that is euthanasia. And today, we have a really special guest. We have the co-founder of Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice, Dr. Danny McVetty. And I'm really, really excited about this conversation. We've been looking forward to this for quite some time. As always, I am one of the hosts of the Veterinary Viewfinder, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And we're still missing our other co-host, Dr. Cindy Courtney, while she's on maternity leave. Yeah, I think, uh, Becky, she's waiting until her son is 18 and is in college. Is that when I she's think coming back? Gradu- right, right after graduation, we're expecting oh, yeah, having yeah. her back. But we can't wait. We're counting the weeks. <laughs> we are counting the years and the decades. But, <laughs> but Cindy, we miss you. And I know you're really going to miss this guest today. Today we have with us Dr. Danny McVetty, and uh, I've known Danny for quite some time. I've watched her career with tremendous interest. Uh, she's inspired so many, and she really has chosen to do something that is not only quite extraordinary, but quite challenging, and that is she is trying to make the conversation around euthanasia a little more comfortable for us all. So I'd like to give a very warm veterinary viewfinder welcome to our guest, Dr. Danny McVetty. Thank you, Dr. Ernie, and thank you, Becky. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Well, Danny, you know, I've known you for a long time, and I I actually knew you when you were a student at University of Florida. Tell our listeners today a little bit about how you found your way into lap of love, veterinary euthanasia, home hospice. What's the story? Yeah, it it is, of course, incredible. Um, Had you told me when I was a sophomore or or really just at at any point in my veterinary career um, in school that this is what I would be doing, I would have thought, no way. I would have said, you're absolutely crazy. There's no way that I would be just handling end-of-life care. You know, and I, um, I, I, I think that my path through vet school was a little bit different than most. You know, I, I, I kind of graduated the bottom of the class, but, you know, what that taught me was that there's more to, to, to medicine for me, and my impact with clients really had more to do with the communication and the, the connection that I made with them than the medicine that I was able to practice, and that just ended up being my kind of, my, my passion when it comes to, to client interaction. So when I graduated, I um, did emergency medicine, mainly because I just probably a bit of adrenaline junkie, so I, I loved that type of medicine. And I found really quickly that I was tapping into the volunteer work education that I had um, done, uh, participated in when I was in college. So when I was an undergrad, I was a, a hospice for human hospice, I'm, I'm sorry, volunteer for human hospice. And human hospice is, at least to, to my personal knowledge, the only part of medicine that is a hundred percent consumer centric and meaning they don't tell you what they're going to do so much as they say is this okay they say what kind of ice cream do you like not we're going to give you this medicine and this test and all this kind of thing you know they're very much about giving the patient um a choice in what their and what their care is going to be and especially in emergency medicine you know i just found myself just tapping into those those lessons so often and and I just I, I love talking to people about what they wanted. Yeah, and Danny, you bring up a really good point and one that I, I kind of want to emphasize to our listeners today, and that is you are right. It seems that end of life care, hospice setting for human 
is the only time they actually are concerned with how you're feeling. The rest of the time, it's sort of like, hey, this is what we're going to do, like it or not. You know, your comfort level is not even of consideration. I mean, is that right? I mean, that, to me, you know, that that's what I've kind of railed against in my my entire career. Yet that's the reality. I mean, how does that how did that affect you? You know, just knowing that, wow, it's the end of life where we actually get serious about our patients and our clients, you know, needs. No, I know. And, and you're right. And I and I, I've said before, you know, as veterinarians, we're not selling medicine. People aren't coming into us to buy medicine. They're coming to us to support the human animal bond. And the guy with, you know, with a farm dog has a different human animal bond than the woman with a Yorkie in a bag. And they're they're not right or wrong, good or bad. They're just different. Right. So we get to support them, you know. And the other part of, of what you know what you pointed out is that is that in veterinary medicine we have two separate entities to please. We have the client and the patient. But in human medicine, the client and the patient are generally the same thing. Yeah. And I would add a third, Danny, we also have to please ourselves because, you know, this is a career that we choose to actually be of service to others. And so that's where the frustration really starts because, you know, you you want to do the best for that patient, but the client doesn't let you and then you feel, you know, professionally and emotionally frustrated. It's, it's a tricky thing, but let's get back to you and your journey. So you're in emergency medicine setting, which some people would say is also a really high after hours euthanasia clinic. And how did, how did you get from emergency to what you're doing today? You know, and, and we've all been in clinics and we've all worked with the doctors and the technician and the support team that you want to be next to you or you want to, to hold, you know, your, your own hand or your family or friend's hands through the euthanasia of their own pet. And I, I realized that I was ended up, I was that doctor. I was the one the technicians were going to go grab when they had a difficult euthanasia or a difficult client or even just a difficult decision making process. And Danny, why, why do you think that was? Why did they choose you? Why were you singled out for that most, you know, sacred and difficult end of life experience. Why you? You know, you know Dr. Ernie, I, I, I mean, I, I could sit here and tell you a million different things. And, and I think to me, one of the reasons why is, is because just plain and simple, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I had such honor from it. It didn't scare me. So when euthanasia didn't scare me and when that conversation didn't scare me and when an angry person didn't scare me, I, everyone tend to just have that trust in me. And, and more, most importantly, I had the trust in myself that I could walk into a room and I could take an emotion that was just out of control and just with my own presence, just be very calm. Don't, don't be reactive, just be responsive to them, empathize with them. And these really, really simple things, these things that are very simple just to me as, as a human being meant so much to people. And I think that that, that's just what I found fulfillment in with, um, with medicine. And I, and I realized really short, into it that I wanted the client to walk out of that room trusting me, not necessarily knowing every single thing that I was doing. Yeah, and we've touched on that not only in this podcast, but certainly over the years I've written about it and lectured about it. It is letting go of that fear, that letting go of the the concern that, you know, somehow this isn't going to work out or the client's going to be angry or you're not good enough. And and I think, Danny, what you tapped into is that level of professional confidence that people were attracted to. And that's what led you here today. So now you're 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 realizing that this maybe is your passion and that maybe, you know, there's a void. What, what led you, though, to, again, choose the home euthanasia veterinary hospice end of it? You know, when, when, I, when I first started, uh, I, I, really what, what, what started happening is people were coming in on a Friday and they knew their pet had a terminal illness. They knew that their pet wasn't going to make it another week. 
but their husband, you know, wife, son, daughter, mother, sister were coming home on Sunday and they just wanted their pet to get through the weekend or just get through Christmas or just get through Thanksgiving or just get through their birthday. And I realized that that is what hospice was in veterinary medicine was, can we mitigate pain and suffering? Can I medicate a pet to an extent that they're going to make it and be comfortable for another two, three days or a week or whatever? And then I would come to their home and perform the euthanasia. And, and I got to tell you, the peace that these families have when you've had a conversation with them on day one and whether or not it's hours or days or weeks later, you go and have and, and actually perform the euthanasia, there's a peace that they have that they don't have at the beginning. And that's really what I, I, I realized that I was addicted to was just providing somebody that piece. Wow, that's that's really beautiful. And I, again, I guess my question as we, we dig into lap of love, I mean, let's face it, veterinarians, myself included, we've been going to people's homes for decades, maybe hundreds of years, you yeah. know, to do the exact same thing that lap of love is doing today. But yet you took it in a very different direction and one that I'm incredibly, uh, I admire, I mean, what you did with this. So explain to me how you went from people like me who were going into homes when people would request it, having these wonderful experiences. I mean, we had this thing dialed in just like you, but you decided to open it up to the to the big world. Yep. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. The profession has been doing hospice and in-home euthanasia for generations. We just haven't called it that, and nor have we, nor has it been the right time to make it its own kind of subset of the profession. And strictly because it's the pet, pets are becoming more and more important, so now we have that space available to us. A year after I'd started, I mean, I was getting calls once or twice a month from other doctors, and anywhere from once or twice a week to once or twice a month, from other doctors wanting to do what, what I was doing. But I mean, just as, as you guys both know, you know, we don't always get a lot of business education in veterinary medicine. And yet I was raised by two entrepreneurs. I'd already started a company. Like I, I love business. I love, I love business in a way that, 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 uh, that was difficult for me to love medicine sometimes. Um, but I called my, uh, my classmate, Dr. Mary Gardner, and she had 10 years in software before vet school. So I told her, I'm like, we've got to scale this. You know, we need a software that can that can help manage the paperwork side of it just because it's super boring. And, <laughs> you know, then we can scale it and, and other doctors want to do this and we can replicate this. And clients want it and it's growing super fast. And at first she thought it was really very uh, depressing. <laughs> but then, she, then I talked to her about it and she was like, no way. And, and since then, we've just been off and running. So it's been an incredible path. So to that point exactly, I'm I'm interested to know what the acceptance was when you came out and said, hey, I'm doing this totally different thing. Hey, I'm going to talk about this thing that we don't talk about in a way that we're going to be comfortable and we're going to make clients feel okay about this decision and we're not going to be afraid of it. What was that reception for you like professionally um, from your colleagues, from technicians around you? Because I mean, as a technician, I can only think, oh my gosh, I love this. And then and then I hear you saying the demand was out there for the public. So tell me a little bit about what that was like when you when that happened for you. Oh, Becky, it is such a great question. And probably, probably about six months ago, one of the doctors that's in my area here in the Tampa Bay area, she actually came up to me at a CE event and she's like, Danny, we all thought you were crazy when you first started. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I know. And she, um, she, she goes, you know, but then we kind of realized the value that you give to our clients. And then it just, it was off and running from there. So the, the the short answer is the the doctors that 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 got it immediately they 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 got it like it didn't I didn't need any type of exclamation but there were some that needed to see that I was adding a value to their practice that they didn't then have to go do. Danny, what did those first veterinarians have in common? I mean, the ones that got it as you say right away, and I guess 
join Lap of Love as, as a veterinarian. What, what did they have in common? Those are the doctors. The doctors that are, that are part of our group are the ones that they all say something to me when I first talk to them. And, and, and even now, I still talk to every single doctor before they join. And they all, they all say the statement. They go, this is going to sound really, really weird, Danny. And I know exactly what's coming. They say, I really love euthanasia and I'm really good at it. And I say, that's the last time you will qualify that statement in our profession because we're the only, only medical profession licensed to do this. And there's no reason why we need to qualify that as saying it's really, really weird. We can say, it's, I know this might sound different, you know, but I'm really good at this. And we can say that to cut to clients, but to our own profession, we need to stand up and, and, and say, this isn't, this is an honor that we get to be here with clients. And I take a lot of pride in, in, being there for people. I love that tone and and helping to change the culture surrounding that conversation. You know, when I talk to people about what I do inevitably, and I know I'm not alone in this case, one of the first things people mention to me um, from a public standpoint is, oh, that's so cool, but, but I just don't think I could do it. I just don't think I could do it. And they're always referring to euthanasia, or sometimes they come right out and say that. So how are you changing the context and the tone of what we do with the public, when you're having that conversation that like, not only are you a veterinarian, but you specifically deal with hospice care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and honestly, Becky, that is just one of my personal goals in life. It's just, it, it's just a goal of, of, of my entire life is how can we embrace, embrace death. And then by embracing death, we just end up living more freely and, and, and more lovingly. Um, I mean, I even want to get into the human side, which is so beyond this conversation right now, but I, I want our profession to, to not quiver with that word anymore. I want our profession to be saying euthanasia before the client says euthanasia. I want our profession to begin that conversation with the client, to give the clients permission to say the word to us because they don't want to say it. And that's why my business has grown so fast is because of, they, they're calling a business that has euthanasia in the business name because they just don't, they don't want to say it to the, to, to, to the doctors because they, they're going to feel judged. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I don't want to be talked into any more treatment and I don't want to feel judged by my client. Wow. You know, and it's, it's kind of revealing to me just sitting here listening to you, Danny, today. In 1998, 1999, I produced my first training book and video series. So it was a staff training manual. It was called Creating the Veterinary Experience. And in that video, um, I actually, the last, you know, there's all these different experiences that I take people through in the book and in the video. And of course, the last experience is the euthanasia experience. And so I got my late father and mother to pose as, as clients. And so we actually videotaped a, a mock you know, euthanasia experience. So I talked about, you know, what the different tenants were and my objectives and how I communicated certain things, you know, the procedure that we did. And back then, you know, this was back in the 90s, you know, we were, of course, big advocates for, you know, sedating the pet, never separating the pet from the pet owner, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff that, of course, are standard of care now. And I remember when I made this video, that part was the most contentious. I had vets coming up to me in 1999 going, how could you? How could you actually make a mock euthanasia? Where's your respect? You know, and of course, I was just trying to share best practices and maybe help people who are struggling with this. And and fast forward to, you know, 18, 19 years later, and it's a business and it's become more accepted. And and here you are on a campaign to say, we want to remove the stigma. So number one, I applaud you. Number two, I would like to remind listeners that sometimes change takes a long time. So be patient. And number three, that this is absolutely imperative that we get this right. Because as I argued in that very first book that I wrote in 98, 
this is the most important thing we do. We better get it right. So speaking of getting it right, what are some of the best practices that you do with Lap of Love and the ways that you found more success with the euthanasia experience? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, I have a couple of rules when we talk about convenience euthanasia. And, and one of them, the, the fourth rule, is do not ever get involved in a situation if you don't plan to help. So part of part of making that experience and, and, and the most important part of making that experience a comfortable and warm and a peaceful one for the client is understanding that no matter what you say and do, you must not ever allow that family to feel judged at all. Right. So there's three things that I can tell you that are going to just at, at least elevate that experience for not only the doctor, but also for the family as well. So number one is, is loving on that pet. How you react to an animal that comes into your to your clinic for euthanasia it tells you tells that client everything about how you feel about their pet. Everyone has walked up to that old dog or old cat for the past month and said, "Oh my gosh, he's still alive! Oh my gosh, he looks awful! How come you haven't done?" You know, they they've all like responded like that. So when you respond lovingly, like "Hi, beautiful. Hi, handsome. How are you?" That is just it sets the tone for everything to come. Um, the second rule is accept their decision. And what, what I mean by that is, 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 is do not euthanize a pet that you are not comfortable euthanizing. And if you are comfortable euthanizing, you must be willing to tell that family that we are doing the best thing, not you are doing the right thing because a client doesn't practice veterinary medicine. A client isn't doing anything when it comes to euthanasia. All they're doing is coming to you and saying, doc, I have a problem. What do I do? And then we together make a decision on what we're going to do. So you have to accept the decision, acknowledge it by saying we are doing the best thing, even if it's not what you would do if that pet were yours. You can still do that if you're willing to push that euthanasia syringe. And then the third thing is physically touching that person. And I know it sounds crazy, and I know people out there are thinking like, well, I'm not a hugger, I don't wanna hug. You don't have to hug. I used to say you should hug, and I hug everybody, even the big burly men and the women that you don't think wanna hug. I'm telling you, from my perspective, they always wanna hug if you're comfortable Absolutely, hugging. absolutely. But if they're not, if you if you aren't comfortable hugging, then don't hug because it's going to be awkward. <laughs> but find right. a way to physically touch that person, a two-handed handshake, a gentle touch on the shoulder or their elbow. But a touch goes so much further and conveys more empathy and compassion than words ever will at that at that moment when you've, you know, when when you've told them the worst news of their life, that their pet has passed. And then allow them that space to just grieve and be there, be present. Don't be, don't, don't think that the silence is awkward and then you have to leave the room and you're going to give them that, that time away. Just be there with them. And it goes so far. Like we so undervalue silence in our profession, I, I think, at that moment. You know, probably just in society in general. Well, as someone who talks for a living, <laughs> that's kind of hard. And like, I totally get that. But, you know, to that point, and you've, you've said the magic word several times, empathy. And, you know, from a veterinary profession standpoint as a whole, we are, are, are running out of it, right? We are struggling with empathy. And there is, um, you know, a lot of burnout. And I know there's a lot of talk about the difference between those two. And when you're in that moment and when it's, when it's so hard, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? How you do this all day, every day, how do you restore it? How do you keep it going? How do you help the team in that moment? Because when we do a really good job at euthanasias, we give a big part of ourselves. I believe that. How do you fill that back up and make sure your team is okay and you're okay? Um, because you've done such an amazing job making sure the owner's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, fantastic question. And it really is. It's it's so important. And and you know, I wrote an article a little bit ago that that talked about compassion fatigue versus um, ethical fatigue. And then you said another word, burnout, which is also part of this profession too. And and honestly, you know, I I've I've talked it. 
25 veterinary schools over the past couple of years and I talk to these students and I'm on the admissions board at the University of Florida. So I see I see the essays before they get in this school and then I see them in school and then where I'm talking to them right after school and I'm like, where is this burnout coming from? Where is this compassion fatigue coming from? And I think it comes from simply an unrealistic expectation about what our profession is. And second to that is taking things too seriously and too personally. To me, compassion fatigue is when we begin to take these things too personally and we begin to think that these failures of medicine are failures of, of us. But death and sickness don't happen because medicine fail. They literally happen because that's the natural progression of biology. Animals eat other animals in the wild all the time. You know, these, these animals are dying all the time. Lions are eating, you know, bison still alive out in the wild. So just because we can't stop that doesn't mean we've done a bad job. And we can't take that personally, even if the owner of that animal is telling us that we're a bad person. As long as we can set the expectation that this has nothing to do with me and that owner yelling at me actually has nothing to do with me. That's between that owner and themselves because they, they feel badly that they can't afford the care. So Danny, what does Lap of Love do to support your member veterinarians, the people that are actually out there doing the euthanasias on a daily basis? How are you helping them cope and, like Becky said, restore their, their soul? I mean, how do you, what does Lap of Love do for them? And, and I, I would almost take that a step further and, and, and want to talk about how Lap of Love, the doctors that work with us, are helping the other doctors that don't do this with their own work because the doctors that are with right. us are the people that get it. They get it. And and I'll, and I'll tell you that the evidence of that is that our internal communications and our internal Facebook page that we have, you know, we have over 100 doctors that work with us now and, and over 30 support team that answer phones with crying people all day long. And I can tell you the one thing that does not exist in our, in our, in our, in our, in our, um, our group, our company is negativity. There is not one time when we sit in, in a negative conversation about a client, about a team member, about anybody else. We sit in empathy. You know, people will share a, a really sad story and we'll sit and like, oh my gosh, you did such an amazing job. That's so incredible that you were there for that family, you know, who's, gosh, a, a teenager losing the dog that she got with her father who died of ALS last year. I mean, this stuff happens to us every right. single day. and. It's really heavy, so we support each other positively, and we're just we're all the personality that we love it. We find honor in what we do, and it doesn't it doesn't drain us. And what you've done that's quite remarkable to me again, getting back to that business part of it. So you saw a need, you saw where your passion lie. You developed this company called Lap of Love. Explain to us a little bit about how the business works. Is it a franchise? Is it a licensee? I mean. Like, how does that work? So if, if somebody's listening today and they might be interested, what does the business part of this look like? Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to have to stop me, Dr. Ernie and Becky, to stop talking like, because <laughs> I love this topic so much. So we started as a franchise at the beginning and mainly because we couldn't afford to do anything else. Um, there are laws that regulate the, the practice of medicine um, within states and whether or not a, a licensed DVM needs to actually be the one that owns a practice. So there are uh, legal ways that, that, um, that corporations can facilitate that. Um, but that's why we started as a franchise at the beginning. And frankly, because, again, we couldn't afford to hire the type of support team that we, we needed to support associate veterinarians. So that's people that are working under a salary um, as an employee. And that's what we have now. So we grew to about 50 doctors with the franchise, um, with the franchise structure, and it works great. Those, the type of doctor that's going to sign a 300-page franchise agreement is very different than the one that's going to want us to just simply have a steady income via a salary. Absolutely. 
So about um, about two years ago, we started fluctuating into the employee model, and because we were able to now have a support center that answers the phones for our doctors. When we first started, I mean, our doctors answered their own phones, and they had to do that around their regular jobs. So it hindered the growth and our ability to help people. Um, but now, as as the employee model, now we're able to help a greater amount of people. I mean, gosh, doctor, we 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 handled over three thousand phone calls last week. Wow. wow. And yeah. and so they're they're paid a salary or are they paid on production number of visits? What is that? Both. Yep, so both. So we they they're they're paid on on salary. Um and then we also have um produ- uh, production participation and that's just when once we hit a, a number of a, appointments where we can afford to pay the salary, then we we start uh, bonusing per appointment. So it's something that, you know, Dr. Mary and I are both on on very much on the same page with this that we want to grow as quickly as possible, as well as possible. And we're not going to do this without doing it well. So if long as we have the right doctors, then that's the most important thing and the right support team to, to do it too. But, but, um, but we have to do that. And, and we want everybody to be, uh, it has to be a win-win. I love the, the model for this. And I think it's one of the things we can really do in our profession, you know, is specialize where we're great. And, you know, they say, if you do what you love, you don't uh, work a day in your life. And I think there's so much truth to that. When we talk about, I'm really good at this and I feel good about what I'm doing. Um, so I have to ask, how do technicians get involved and what's the space for technicians within Lap of Love and, and how, if a technician has a passion for euthanasia and for being a part of hospice service, how can they get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So number one, um, on our support team, the, the actual, the, the incredible team members that we have answering the phone, they are almost all technicians. We have a few that have been with us for a while um, that, that aren't, but they're almost all technicians. And to have somebody that can sit on the phone and pronounce hemangiosarcoma, pronounce osteosarcoma, know what those things are in general, it's hugely beneficial. And that builds a lot of confidence and trust with the client when they, when they call us. So that's number one. Number two is the actual hospice work, which is growing. We aren't there yet. We're, we're just not where clients are asking for technicians to go into the home and do hospice management yet. Um, but that will be coming down the line. It, it has grown over the past few years. Um, I'm actually heading up a task force that is hopefully going to push through the American College of Veterinary Hospice and Palliative Medicine um, through the AVMA as a specialty board. So we're working on that. It's gonna be it's gonna be years down the road, but uh, but we're we're definitely getting there. Um, so that's that's the main thing right now. Um, there again, there's there's gonna be so many opportunities down the line um, for technicians to get more involved. Well, Danny, if if listeners want to find out more and get involved, where can they go? What's a website or? Yeah, absolutely. So lapoflove.com has everything on there and um, it's very, very easy to navigate. Clients, clients love it. And, and even, even if um, doctors have general practices and just you, you have a client that's struggling with the decision or they're not willing to have that conversation with you yet, send them to our web, website. Because one thing that I really hate hearing is, is when people say, you know, hey, my, my neighbor really needs you, but he'll call you when he's ready. I'm like, no, 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 no. You call us now. Talk to your doctor now. You know, you don't call us when you're ready. So even if you have a client that needs a little bit of just hand-holding, there's so much information on our website. Um, but for doctors or technicians or anything, I mean, we, we, um, we are always looking to, to grow our team nationwide. Um, so there's all that information. And also my email is drdanny at lapoflove.com. So D-R-D-A-N-I at lapoflove.com. 
Well, if you're curious about this, definitely go to lapoflove.com. Talk to Dr. Danny McVetty. I mean, she is doing amazing things. And what I like most about your message, Danny, besides the business acumen and all of your achievements on personal and professional level, is the fact that you're trying to take the stigma, the pain, the emotional baggage that's associated with the word euthanasia. And that's really important for the health and longevity of our profession. We have to become more comfortable. We have to let go of the fear of this and embrace it as a natural part of life. And again, I want to thank you for all you're doing, not only for the pets under your care, but for the veterinary profession in general. Thank you, Dr. Ernie. Thank you, Becky. The vote of confidence is so guys. Thank you, guys. Well, you heard what we have to say. We want to hear what you have to say. What do you think about in-home euthanasia? Do you do it? Do you think it's a good idea? What are your thoughts and opinions? Join us online and let's hear from you. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at VetViewFinder. And you can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. Click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Thanks again to Dr. Danny McVetty, Lap of Love. Check it out. She's doing great things, making the world a better place. For all of us at the Veterinary Viewfinder, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.